Welcome to Mission Control, Product Design's podcast on everything business, tech, and marketing. Since 2008, Peralta Design has launched hundreds of successful brands. Join Ramon and the PD Flight crew as they use decades of combined experience to tackle current events and interview guests while dropping valuable industry knowledge. At Peralta Design, we launch brands. But for now, let's launch right into this episode. Three, two, This is Ramon Peralta with Peralta Design, and we launch brands. And welcome to Mission Control. That was a little bit of Mi Tierra by Gloria Estefan, as requested by our special guest, Miss Liana Garcia, Director of Gift Planning at the Community Foundation for Greater New Haven. Welcome to the show, Liana. Thank you. Yes, I can't wait to dive in and learn all about giving and all the great things you're doing, the streamline giving to businesses and, and Latino-owned businesses especially. Um, and as we as we kick that off, let's talk a little bit about uh, our man Grogu. What is going on in season three of The Mandalorian? Yeah, <clears throat> I just recently caught up with it. And I don't hate it, but I don't know. I, I, I fell asleep during the last <laughs> episode. I well, need him to do something other than... I don't know. He's uh, showing some flying ability, which is new. You know, so he's hopping out of his egg and he's doing some things and fighting, <laughs> fighting some bad guys. But I can't get this out of my head. I just finished The Last of Us, and somebody said to me, "The Last of Us is the same thing as The Mandalorian <laughs> because <laughs> it's Pedro Pascal, you know, taking care of a little one that he has to get someplace. You know, so it's like the same exact actor, this kind of the same storyline." And now when I'm watching it, I know it's Pedro Pascal is under the helmet. (laughs) And maybe that's it. I missed The Last of Us and how exciting that was. That was an excellent show. Oh, that was amazing. And then you go from that to now this Disney, everything's so happy. I just feel like it's super Disney this season. Like I I get all, it's like I'm watching Fraggle Rock, Uh, you know, (laughs) the characters in the trees and all the different puppetry that's going on and. I don't know. I think I think it's going from The Last of Us, which was really beautiful graphics and very well done and quite violent, in, in fact, to a show now that is uh, more sci-fi but less violent. Well, it is violent, but it's all kind of like the the pew pew, you know, laser beams and and things like that. It's not really um, as gory. Um, but um, and I just finished The Servant. If any of you, uh, you know, this is a spoiler alert, but um, this. this See, you know, it was the final episode of the servant, and that whole that whole show left people with questions. Um, you know, those of you that haven't um, that aren't familiar with it, it's kind of uh, it's M Night Shyamalan. You know, oh, really? I didn't yeah, know. I see it. Yeah. So it's it's uh, apparently 
maybe this woman has supernatural powers, healing powers, or maybe she doesn't, you know. But the premise is that this woman left her baby in a car, tragically, and goes into like a catatonic state of guilt. And the only way she copes is with this fake doll. And her husband goes along with it, and she nurses it and cares for it and changes it, but it's a doll, a very lifelike doll. To the point where she thinks her life's back to normal and hires a nanny. And the nanny comes to the house to take care of this doll. And the, and the husband is like, the, the husband throws the doll on the floor because he's like, oh no. he's like, what are you like this? Don't, don't you see that it's just a doll? But before you know it, it's a living baby. Mm-hmm. And now you're wondering like, is this, did the nanny bring the baby to life? Did she kidnap a baby? Did she bring a baby in a suitcase? Mm-hmm. So you you immediately get engrossed into this show. Um, and it plays with your, with your senses of like, did I see, did she bring somebody back to life or did she hit him with Narcan or do her believers, where did she come from? She almost has a Jesus like, uh, aura, you know, but a dark side as well, you know? So highly recommend it. You, you wouldn't think it keeps you engaged for four seasons. You know, oh, is there four seasons? This is the fourth <laughs> season. Of, of a husband, a wife, a brother-in-law, and a baby, a doll. You know, like, those four characters essentially keep you uh, for 40 episodes, you know. But they're, like, 30-minute episodes or so, 40-minute episodes. But um, The Servant, um, I just started watching, because um, my wife and I like to have something that we're watching. Share that in our time. But uh, Your Honor, the Brian Cranston. You heard, have, that- any, have you guys heard of that? I haven't seen it. I have heard of it. I want yeah. to see that. It's Brian Cranston. He's yeah. he's brilliant. Yeah. So definitely, definitely check it out. Um, but you know, before we go much further, we do have to introduce our someone who's here, who's what I would call a thespian. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, um, an actress. Yes. If you will, uh, in many local plays, our very own Maggie Cruz. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so um, I just recently started rehearsals for a production of Guys and Dolls, which is going to be with Fairfield Center Stage, um, which is an environmental theater company. And the production is going to be at First Church Congregational in downtown Fairfield. And um, the shows are between May 12th and May 21st. If you go to the Fairfield Center Stage website, you can get ticket information. Wow, so you're coming right off of, off of uh, what was the last play, The Christmas Carol? Uh, yeah, I was in Christmas Carol, and then before that I was in Jekyll and Hyde, and yeah, more shows. <laughs> wow, so let's hear, let's hear a little bit of your accents. I know you, you have like a variety of accents. Oh, that you, oh boy. That you, you know, there's a Jamaican one. <laughs> <laughs> Putting me on the spot like this. Um, well, I guess if we're talking about uh, the Christmas Carol, uh, I have a little bit of a British accent. There you go. Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. But it comes and goes. Sometimes <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> How do you prepare for these roles? Because you got now Guys and Dolls is a completely different kind right. of genre. Yeah, I do a lot of research yeah. and I listen to like a bunch of different cast albums and sort of get like an idea of um, the time period, um, the way those people would act in that time and, and what mm. sort of mannerisms they would pick up and sort of thing very cool very cool so what and what's your character and that you're playing in this one i'm one of the featured dancers which actually um bex was also at the same show in high school <laughs> as a featured dancer so yeah it should be really fun so did you did you reach out to bex and say do you have any tips or N- well <laughs> 
I after I was called back, I was called back for that, and I was called back for Sarah, which is the lead. Mm-hmm. And um, she was like, "If you get one of the featured dancers, like I was that nice school." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, I had no clue you did musicals." And yeah, it was <laughs> it was funny learning that about her because she used to yeah. be like a really talented. Not that she's not a still talented dancer, but like yeah. she thought she wanted to like become a professional dancer, which wow. I never knew. Wow, wow. So. What kind of preparation goes into this? How, like, are you going a few times a week to yeah. rehearse and things? Yeah, generally a, a few times a week. And then the, like, two or three weeks leading up to the show, it's pretty much every night. Yeah. Well, if you ever want to practice on Kev, you know. I'm a dance expert. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and we won't go into the whole Dancing with the Stars thing. <laughs> you guys just. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, no, Ramon's the real right. dance expert. <laughs> right, right. Right. And and that was for one of our, our favorite charities here, uh, uh, Adam's house, um, and we, and we do want to talk a little bit about that because it's it's what our guest is going to tell us all about. Um, so Adam's house is one of one of the one of the organizations that we support. Kev, you're you know proud board, board member. Yes, congratulations there and and stepping up being a board member. Um, but there are so many that we support, and we're all about giving back. I I, I like to say here that at PD. Yes, we're doing websites and branding and, and digital marketing, but we're we're we want to be part of the solution, um, and and we want to be a positive force. Even this podcast, Liana and I were talking about how it started, and it was just we wanted to be a beacon of hope during a, a really dark time during during the early days of COVID when we really didn't know what was happening. Um, but um, there's so many of these that we support that at, right now they're all coming to you know to a head because we have. Um, Higher Heights is having their gala, and and we love Higher Heights and, and what Shaka Felder's doing there, and and uh, we support them wholeheartedly. We're a sponsor. Um, BCYL Bridgeport Caribe Youth Leaders is having their event on the same day, and we sponsored that. And we're involved there. You know, Boys and Girls Club they're having their Youth Awards, which is a great event. Um, so we'll, we're going to send some team members there. They're the the Boys and Girls Club of Naugatuck Valley. Uh, Sterling House is having which sounds like a great idea because I think one of the things fundraisers do is they run out of ideas because there's only like so many themes you can have. I mean, we're doing the McGivney Center mini golf tournament next week, but Sterling House is having a pajama networking night. Okay. <laughs> I guess you show up in your pajamas. That's I funny. guess you got to buy like nice ones because you can't just show up there and like the ones you actually wear at night <laughs> Seriously, with the holes and everything. <laughs> and that same night, Team Inc. is having Men Who Cook. And and we're a sponsor there, so so we're doing a lot, and and uh, and I try to get the team to go out to these events. But Liana is is here. Um, just want to welcome her again to the show. Thank you for being here. Um, director of gift planning. So first of all, tell us your story, how you even got in this space, and then tell us what what gift planning is all about and why that's important. Sure. Well, um. I'm born and raised in New York and went to UConn for my undergraduate degree and uh, then back to New York for a little bit before I got married and came back into Connecticut. But I started my career as a registered dietitian. So I was working in hospitals and in outpatient nutrition. And uh, that's what prompted my going back for a master's in healthcare management, which actually taught me about nonprofit organizations Mm -hmm. and nonprofit management. So when I moved back to Connecticut, I started in nonprofits and uh, in the program area, 
uh, using my dietetics background because I was working for the American Diabetes Association. So I was able to do a lot of program planning because I understood the disease. And uh, because I am bilingual and bicultural, I am a Cuban-American. My parents came over from Cuba during the Castro Revolution mm -hmm. and settled in New York. Uh, so I was a, a good fit for the job. And then uh, from there, I just grew. And to become an executive director, you have to know how to raise money. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was mentored and grew and learned and ran uh, three different organizations and then wanted to learn about what's really called plan giving, which is the gift planning piece. And um, gift planning is uh, really working with individuals, families, businesses to understand what they care about, what they want to do with their charitable dollars in the community, and then working with either their financial advisors, their estate attorneys, um, their CPAs to formulate a plan that maximizes and leverages the impact that they have in the community. And Kev, you know, you're registered, right? Life insurance. Yes. And, and so you're, it's, it's like all interconnected because the worst Correct. thing that can happen is somebody, God forbid, passes away and, and then their, all their assets go to the state. Or something like that. Like they didn't, they didn't do a will, or they didn't leave it. You know? So if you plan properly, you can. It, it can actually be like that final act that you do to help. Mm -hmm. to, yes, right. To, can to be the most difference. impactful thing. Your right. most impactful gift. Working with insurance professionals, um, I, which I do work with to to talk about how an individual can um, actually sign over a life insurance policy, a whole life insurance policy, the cash value of a whole life policy to their favorite nonprofit. That's so amazing. it works. So yeah. That's just something I found out. I didn't know you could do until I got licensed. Um, as far as leaving it to different right. organizations, that doesn't have to be. Yeah. You can't take it with you. You, you can't <laughs> take it with you. Yeah. And so many people don't, don't know that, don't yeah. understand that, um, especially in the Latin community. Yeah. And I, I, I definitely want you to, Kind of dive deeper in there because i think you in i feel like in the latin community <laughs> i i, was, I didn't want to derail our conversation uh, with no, latin x but 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 we but let we i definitely want to touch on it because i know your committee's put a lot of uh, work into that and um and so forth but i i what i wanted to say was that trust is a big factor like in our mm -hmm. community especially with immigrants like they they tend to be more cash-based um, they don't really go to banks as much. They're, they're underbanked, in fact. Um, so I can imagine that rolls over into this where they may not have assets lined up to be able to uh, cleanly, right? You have families that like go into uproar when it's like, who gets what and who gets this? Because, you know, Theo maybe left, left them the house but didn't write it down or I don't know. It, it, I've just heard nightmares. So, so like, it, and I think it has to do with uh, a number of things, uh, financial literacy, culture, trust, um, maybe not having somebody else in the family that had done it before where you can kind of see how you do it, right? So there's an educational aspect to this. There's a huge educational aspect to it. And that's, um, I'm, I'm the staff liaison for the Progreso Latino Fund. And that's one of the things that um, this particular, uh, there's a committee affiliated with it that is trying to address. And so we actually put on programs to help with uh, financial literacy as well as um, the legacy planning piece, because 
I have some statistics that um, Latin household wealth has more than doubled uh, between 2013 and 2019, uh, outpacing the general population. So uh, even though our household wealth has increased um, more than uh, the overall population, we still don't protect that wealth, even with there is still a substantial wealth gap. Um, and I think that you, you touched on it. There's cultural tendencies that um, our family is going to take care of us right. when we get older. So there's no need to plan. And there's also the difficulty about talking about death. And some of those are the reasons that only 27% of the Latin population actually protects any of their wealth um, with a will. Uh, and that's, uh, we put on a legacy planning program to talk about the four basic legal documents that every person should have. We bring in insurance conversation to talk about life insurance as well as long-term care, which also helps protect assets. And then we have a financial advisor that comes in and also talks about just investment. So it's really about budgeting, investing, uh, but it's about how do we get comfortable talking about these things mm -hmm. and then being able to implement them, hopefully following yeah. up with the community. It's so, so important in our community because, you know, you see the... GoFundMe come up when someone passes away, and it's like, okay, this isn't. This is not. How it's not a good to, plan. It's not a good plan. And something important to that too is that, and it is expensive to lay someone to rest. It's a, it's oh, a yeah. fact. But with proper planning, right, you should be able to, you know, have to that do taken that. care of. GoFundMe is going to get tricky because if you don't run it through a nonprofit and you run it personally, they're going to hit you with a tax bill. Oh, absolutely, yeah, because it's not a nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. People have gotten in trouble with that where, you know, they make $50,000 a year, they raise money, and now they've been hit with, you know, $20,000. That's income. Yeah. That's income. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not a 501c3 that they can do that through. Yeah. And I think the other thing that um, the Latin community faces is we don't think about these things because we skew younger. Our population mm -hmm. is younger. And so it's not, you know, we sort of put it off. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't, I'm young. I don't need to think about a well, but we all, Absolutely yeah. have to think about And by the way, things. for the remainder of this show, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and say Latin A. <laughs> Latin A, leche, Latin A, leche. <laughs> That's how I got to try to get, get it through my head because I never adopted Latinx. Mm. I never, never used it. Um, but I do say Latino population. And I know that we have some young staffers, feisty ones. That remind me um, that that it's too male centric, and so. But Latin A, as you're saying it, it sounds right. Like it just sounds like I could I could get used to it because at least it has, uh, you know, the etymology almost of a of a Latin word. Absolutely. Whereas Latin X was like okay, Malcolm X, Latin X. I don't know. I never mm -hmm. really got with it, but I I can. This at least feels like it's in the. So that's be, supposed language. to be like a gender neutral. A term. gender neutral. Yeah. Yeah. It's the first time I'm hearing it, using it, um, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it my best shot. Yeah, and and we uh, it was really a, around. A, we had done a retreat and uh, was we were reflecting on the inclusivity because mm -hmm. as we were talking earlier, um, Latinese are from every country. Right of every race and so you can't put us all you can't lump us all into one category yeah. and in our efforts to be 
more inclusive because the Progreso Latino Fund was started 20 years ago by a group of Puerto Ricans. And okay. so we were very Puerto Rican focused, right. but our demographics have changed mm -hmm. uh, over the course of 20 years. And so we have to be broader yeah. and in, in thinking and reflecting about all of that, mm -hmm. we wanted to use a term that, yes, that the terminus of the word was uh, more congruent with the language right, right. and that also would be inclusive and and keep us focused on the fact that we are we originate from so many different yeah, places the diaspora i mean it's i was saying earlier uh i've gotten speeding tickets that said i was white because they have to check your race on the box the ticket and i looked at it and it's like if it's in the winter, I'm white. If it's in the summer, I'm black. <laughs> <laughs> so, and when my kids are born, they're like, "Oh, I can pick. I, I'm gonna pick black." You know, so like on my on my on my kids' birth certificates, like, and then sometimes I hold my my wife's hand in the in the summer, and she's super like fair skinned, and I'm like, "We're an interracial couple." You know, oh my gosh, I'm, you're Puerto Rican white, and I'm I'm Dominican brown. So you know. But uh, like we have That's the right. hard with the sensors, it's like they 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 don't know where what to do. There's like everybody else has like a simple box, and then if you're Latino or Latin A or or um, you know Hispanic, it's like are you Hispanic, non Asian, you know, uh, non Pacific, you know, <laughs> white Hispanic, or are you you know Hispanic, black, or not, you know, it's like all these extra you know flavors that they've added to, <laughs> to, to and you're just like. Hmm, you know, like how it, many boxes? You're right. Check? How many boxes? And if we go to a family reunion, you see our whole families that like run the whole gamut. You know, from like redhead and freckles to black, dark chocolate to everything in between. I love it. I love being Latin A because it's like it's it's what America looks like. It's That's just, right. It's just such a nice variety. Um, and um, but how does something like this stick without going too far off of the the nonprofit conversation? How does this now get like how do these things start like how do you how do how will this get momentum well we um community foundations first of all are local um the the community's endowment so we have geographic restrictions mm -hmm. so uh, we serve a twenty town region yeah. in greater New Haven so we go um from like Milford all the way up to wallingford mm -hmm. um and so we have a community foundation here in the valley. Mm -hmm. We have Fairfield County Community Foundation. We have Hartford. We have Waterbury. So I think there's 12 uh, different community foundations mm -hmm. in Connecticut. And we don't compete. We all uh, work together and um, we have mutual donors so we can do pretty much uh, all the similar things. Um, and when you say stick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how, how, how do... How do we expect this to catch on? Like, how do we oh. get more people to say Latin A? Oh. Like, is there, like, some governing body that's going to, like, you know, say, okay, this is it? Or do we just <laughs> hope that people use it? Because it sounds like you guys created it in, the, in your committee. So it's a term that uh, people on the committee had already started using and had heard. And where did they get it from? I'm trying to find out like where, where the origin who's the is. the guy that makes it or or lady? I don't want again. Individual. The Latin A. Who's the Latin A responsible for this? That's a good question. I'm I'm not sure. I know Latinx um, definitely started in academia yeah. and then moved into government okay, and okay. was not 
you know, anything that the community itself was using. Right. Um, I don't know if Latin A will catch on. No. Uh, we did this in um, between October and December of 2022. So before the 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 political um, conversation started with Arkansas and then here in Connecticut. So for us, it was really more about inclusivity and being aware of the diversity within our within our you know group and. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they're they're ruling out the you use. Some guy of, in a basement listening to merengue with headphones on. You know. Said Latin. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Somebody <laughs> listening out there, let us know who this person is. Uh, who's responsible for this? If no one knows, then you guys can take credit for it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I would. If you would have said that, yeah, fine. That's a good rule of thumb. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, interestingly enough, it was a New York Times article. She, the author, was uh, googling about all this politics mm -hmm. going on with the terminology, and she, whatever Google did, came our site came yeah. up and our committee, and she called to ask what you know what we were doing with this term and how did it come mm -hmm. about, and it was really just an wow. organic conversation. Wow! So it might be the source. It could be. That's so, it. We'll take the credit. Yeah. It's the Progreso Latino Fund. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and you brought up the, how it was Puerto Rican centric. And, I've, and, and it's like, part of what drew me to Bridgeport was that uh, the Puerto Rican community was here like a lot longer than the Dominican community was in Providence. And I encountered growing up a lot of racism, a lot of segregation. And mm -hmm. I saw my dad go through a lot of things. But when I came to Bridgeport, I saw like political signs were Puerto Rican and so forth. But it's because... The Dominicans were in, in, got to Providence in the 70s, but they'd gotten to Bridge. Puerto Ricans had gotten to Bridgeport in the 50s, like through Operation Bootstrap and all these other things where they needed bodies to go to war, and they mm -hmm. just yanked them from the island, and, and then those, those families end up here. And so it just takes time to, uh, to get political power, to, to learn, to get educated, to kind of to work the system, and I felt like it was a lot more progressive, but that... That becomes why a lot of these organizations start off very Puerto Rican centric. That's right. But as the populations change, like now we have more, I think we have more South Americans. Like you see neighborhoods change. That's right. And right. And they want Central Americans. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they have, even though they speak, we all speak Spanish um, through the colonization, you know, of all these, of all these countries, um, the cultures vary, the dialects vary, um, the needs vary. Because That's right. some, you know, you have you go to Chicago, right? You might meet somebody who's Mexican, but has been there four generations, right? And and right. they have they have a different need and culture than, than say someone who just got here. Yeah. Um. So maybe tell us a little bit more about how the Progreso Latino Fund intertwines with uh, Greater New Haven and, and and how that all works. So um, we're celebrating our 20th year, and it was started by us, uh, actually 10, 10 uh, Puerto Ricans who were interested in, in elevating Latino, Latine philanthropy mm -hmm. and addressing the, the needs mm -hmm. in the community. And so the fund was created and um, supports Latine serving, Latine led nonprofits in Greater New Haven. And during this 20th anniversary, we're, we're shifting the mindset a little bit, right? So philanthropy, uh, because it has been white dominated, really looks at deficit, right? Mm -hmm. It's let's 
let's fill the gap. Here's a need. Here are people that need to be helped. Mm -hmm. What we're doing now with this 20th anniversary is thinking a little bit differently and viewing the Latin A population as a population that because they're generating wealth now and are in, in, uh, influencing, mm -hmm. you know, food, sports, theater, spending music, so our forth. spending power. Yeah. That we, we need to sort of change that viewpoint and look at uh, the Latin A population as philanthropists mm -hmm. because it's rooted in our culture. That's what mm -hmm. we do. You talked about, you know, the GoFundMe page. Right. I mean, we bury our dead. We celebrate our people. Yes. You know, when people come from a foreign country, we house them, we feed them, we help mm -hmm. them get employment. So we are philanthropists. It's just not viewed that way uh, from the white perspective. So the Progreso Latino Fund is kicking off um, two, two different campaigns. And one, which I'm the most excited about, is uh, called a fund challenge because community foundations create funds that um, people create. They name them um, uh, and then give, make grants into the community. And so the Community Foundation for Greater New Haven is actually injecting 2,000 charitable dollars into every fund that's created by someone of Latin descent to sort of level the playing field and to create a charitable fund that does a couple of things, but most importantly, it creates power within the community foundation and in the community. And it changes our mindset from a deficit to one of abundance. And so it's very exciting. The goal is to get 40 new uh, Latin A funds, named funds. And it all started because I was working with um, a family who are entrepreneurs and have been wanting to give back to the community that they came from. And when they were at the office and signing the paperwork and starting their, their family fund, the husband asks me, how many Latin A funds does the community foundation have? And I was embarrassed. Mm. We've been around 100 years. We have 1,100 funds, named funds, and there might have been 10. Wow. So we are on this yeah. sort of campaign to make that 40 new mm. To, the, to add to the 10, which will be hugely significant. I don't think people understand the power that there is in having a charitable fund with a Latino name and being able to impact the community that they care about and that they live in and, and in terms of a business support your business in a way that we, we have not collectively done. Mm. And so there's a lot of power um, behind that. I'm very excited about this. And it also helps us think differently, you know, as we educate people about wills and we educate people about financial planning, um, as we uh, collect in these assets and grow our wealth, we also as a community have to think about intergenerational wealth transfer. Because if we don't have those wills, we don't have those plans, we're not, we're not putting that into our kids' hands and our grandkids' hands. And and that's something we also have to change um, about the way we we look at, you know, our assets. And charitable giving is all part of it because we're going to do it regardless. For I think for the Latin A community, we don't we don't think about, oh wait, do I have enough in my bank? If someone comes to our door, we cut a check, we give them cash, we dig deep, we'll give them the clothes off our back. Mm. Um, and creating 
uh, charitable fund allows us to do it, you know, more sophisticated. You're just, you're streamlining. You can be more conscientious and mindful about how you want to impact that. The second thing that we're doing is um, we're uh, offering a match campaign. So anybody who contributes uh, this year to the Progreso Latino Fund will get their gift match dollar for dollar up to $2,000. So we're wow. hoping to to raise about 40000 that way. That's awesome. So it, it's got the Progreso Latino Fund is, so if we had to do like uh, the Russian nesting doll for this, it'd be like the Greater New Haven's outside. Inside of that is Progreso Latino, and then under that are these funds that are Latino owned. Is that kind of that? Well, the, the connection, or yeah, the fund the campaign. Are funders, the funders. Um, the, they're fund founders. Yes, okay. so that they can direct where the grants go. The community foundation doesn't do that; the donor right. does. Mm -hmm. So, uh, community foundations are agnostic, and the donor directs where those grants, you know can go in the community but the progreso latino funds involvement is they're the ones matching so the community foundation the community foundation is, is matching. matching yes um the uh the fund so the the goal is that mm -hmm. it's broader than just the progreso latino fund okay. right we're growing the progreso latino fund because that fund puts on educational forums, yep. that fund puts grants. This, um, the next two years, we'll put $100,000 in grants into the community. We do um, lectures, we bring, we're doing authors that come in. So we, we do a lot of education, we do our grants, we do a newsletter. The Progreso Latino Fund has impact in the community, but this effort is that plus the broader mindset right. of um, the community thinking about themselves in a different way. And as I'm talking to people about starting these funds, often they'll say to me, well, I never thought about that. I don't think about philanthropy that way. And I've never been asked. Mm -hmm. And those are two things that I felt were very powerful. So I'm out asking as many people as I yeah. can. Well, but yeah, I mean, we, we do scholarships. So we, we're, we're making a difference in the community. Yeah. And how, um, well, first of all, thank you for, for that and kind of championing that effort. And, and uh, it's almost a ministry. You know, you're out here spreading the gospel of philanthropy. But tell us a bit about how the, the, the foundation manages the money and how it gets to a certain point and you're investing it and, and all that. So to start a fund at mm -hmm. the community foundation is $10,000. Mm -hmm. So... Um, in the the Latin community can do that with starting off with the two thousand that will get put into the fund and then commit to do two thousand a year, which is about one hundred and eighty seven dollars a month, so that they can build it over the course of four years. So that's an opportunity for people who say, you know, ten thousand is a lot, or in this case, eight thousand to put up front. We can work with them to build that over time. And then after they reach the $10,000, they can start making grants into the community. Um, and the community foundation invests the, the, the charitable dollars to grow over the long term. So we're talking about in perpetuity. Uh, the hope is that, you know, this is a named fund that will outlive us and our children. So it's like an evergreen legacy yep. product. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's powerful. That's, that's powerful. Um, 
there are some inherent branding and marketing benefits, I think, as well, where um, if a person, if a, if a company create a Latin owned, Latin A owned uh, company starts one, um, they can begin to say that a portion of their uh, proceeds or profits go towards the fund and, and maybe the way we're supplying or supporting all of these other nonprofits, we could, we could actually direct, direct it out of the fund, maybe go into that a little bit. So like for our entrepreneurs that are listening or some of the business owners listening can, can, can understand that there, there could be some inherent um, benefits towards creating one that's affiliated with your business. Absolutely. So um, I will work with a business to establish a, a charitable fund. And then often the business will um, market that on their website because especially for the younger um, demographic, they care about supporting businesses that are giving back to their community or, you know, are doing some kind of social uh, cause that right. that's important to them. Um, so uh, often the company will then, after they start the fund and put money in it, then create committees internally that can then decide where the grants go each year and rotate the uh, employee engagement, um, which then, you know, sort of spreads the wealth. But it's also about employee um, engagement and retention, right? right? right. If, if you're involved with a company that's making profits, but it's giving back and it's heartfelt giving back and people can get involved, that that elevates mm -hmm. Um, you know, what your company is doing in, in so many different ways. Yeah, so. and, I, and I like what you said about um, having these committees of staff members of a company that can um, decide um, who gets the micro grant, you know, maybe donating 250 here, 250 there. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's something um, that would, that would be, do well for retention and culture, um, get people involved in giving through their, through their company. Yeah. So as you spoke about all the organizations mm -hmm. that you're currently supporting, you could do it through right. your company's fund, mm -hmm. you know, the Peralta Design Foundation Fund. Mm -hmm. And then uh, even though you're still going to send team members there, it's just a different way to market what you're doing right. um, in the community right. that you're serving. Wonderful. Wonderful. So um, if someone's out there listening, what's the best way for them to get more information from you, maybe meet with you yeah. and, and, um, and maybe kind of what, what would be that perfect avatar for you? The ideal, um, candidate for something like this, uh, especially for the program that, that there's a match incentive. So it really is anyone who's charitable, mm -hmm. anyone who is, um, at a point where they, rather than doing lots of tiny little, uh, checks want to, make a difference in the community they're living in. I can work with them to, to help make that real. Um, and they can find me on our website, which is www.cfgnh. That's C for community, F for foundation, G for greater, N for new haven, nh.org. Um, and my name is Liana Garcia. And my phone number, in case you want to call me directly, is 203 974 one six four six, and I'd say go onto our website because we've got um, a bunch of events coming up. Uh, we're doing cultural mental health series through the lifespan um, coming up March thirtieth. We're going to be doing adults June 29th, We're going to be addressing uh, children's mental health, 
and September 28th, we're doing seniors. And then that legacy planning program I talked about is on June 20th uh, from 6 to 7.30. Those are all virtual. So you just register and just get on your computer. Um, and then the Progreso Latino Fund is doing a celebration uh, reception on November 10th, which um, we hope will be lots of fun with lots of dancing. And then sign up for our newsletter, which is Progreso en Acción. To awesome. stay updated. Awesome. Well, thank you. Again, that was the Community Foundation for Greater New Haven. Liana Garcia, thank you for, for being here. Thank you. And, and teaching us all about this and, and uh, hopefully getting a lot of people involved. And it certainly sounds like a wonderful idea. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And now, in a completely what kind of accent do we want? A Long Island accent. Oh, come on. <laughs> Oh, no, okay, I'll, I'll get you off the hook. A Fairfield, Connecticut accent. Okay, perfect. <laughs> A word from our sponsor. Yes, yeah, so uh, thank you so much for listening to Mission Control. Um, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. And if you could subscribe and leave a review, that would be wonderful. We look forward to the next episode. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Mission Control. Until next time, this is Ramon Peralta with Peralta Design, and we launch brands.